Hi, everybody. Um, welcome to this episode of the Waking Up to Autism podcast. Um, as usual, my name is Claire. I am the founder of Waking Up to Autism, mother to two autistic children. And the Waking Up to Autism podcast has been created and developed basically with the idea of inviting some incredible guests to come on, share their stories um, with the absolute intention that the majority of guests that we have on are actually neurodivergent themselves. Um, Because I know that obviously as a mother of two autistic children, the absolute best teachers, educators and people to impart knowledge to me so that I can best support my children are actually people who are autistic themselves. Um, And so, yeah, so this episode, we are absolutely thrilled to be welcoming a wonderful young lady, Anna, to the podcast. And um, just to give a little bit of background information, actually, as to how Anna and I have come to be sat here having this conversation. um, I've just been actually talking to Anna before we went on, on to record that this is a different kind of approach because Anna and I do know each other, hence why we're sat together, but I know very, very little about her. Um, Anna is actually a pupil at the same school that my son goes to. So Adam is in primary, but Anna is actually in the sixth form. Um, And recently the school launched their local governing board and Anna's mother and I for our sins, maybe, have been elected as <laughs> parent governors. And Anna is the pupil voice. And it was at the very first meeting um, at the school and coming into contact with Anna, I just thought, maybe from a very kind of selfish point of view, but I know a lot of people listening would also really appreciate this, is the fact that my eldest child, Olivia, is 12 years old. She is pre-teen, she's an autistic female, and I am very much on this podcast episode listening um, intently to Anna and learning from her um, as a mother of a pre-teen to just really gain insight and information from Anna about her particular journey, and I think it's going to be something that a lot of our listeners are really going to appreciate as well. Um, So welcome, Anna. Hello. (laughs) Hello, hello. So obviously, like I've just touched on, I don't really know anything about you, apart from that your name's Anna, that you go to my son's school, (laughs) um, and that we have obviously met a couple of times really, really briefly. So could you just start off by just giving us a little bit of background as to like when you were diagnosed and how that that process was for you? So I wasn't diagnosed until I was 14. Okay. um, And now I'm 17. Yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed quite late. Yeah. Um, I did struggle a lot before then. My mum didn't, both of us didn't know anything about autism. We didn't even think I could be autistic. Okay. Um, school was very hard for me. Right. Um, I got bullied pretty much my whole time I was at school. Um, I've missed two years of school. Okay. Which was mainly secondary. Right. Um, and yeah, I've just grown since I moved to the school that I'm at now. Right. I've grown a lot. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. So when you say that, obviously, you got diagnosed at 14 and your mum and yourself sort of had absolutely no clue maybe what the challenges you were going through yeah. were. How did it then come to you being diagnosed as autistic? What? what how so um, I have a psychologist. Okay. And I've had her for three, four years now. Yeah. And within the first two to three sessions she was like 
I think you're autistic. Wow. And then from there, we got the assessment booked in. Um, and then I was autistic. Absolutely. <laughs> so when she kind of said, because this is really interesting, actually, because in another podcast, I'm going to be talking to my brother who's diagnosed in his late 30s. So when somebody says to you, I think you might be autistic, was that a case of then you kind of looked into what being autistic means? And was that like, oh, my God, this is all ringing true? Yeah, I looked at... I just I was googling everything <laughs> I looked at all the traits I yeah. was like oh my goodness yeah this is me like I felt relieved yes and like I don't know I just it was just like a weight off my shoulders like yeah. it's yeah I just felt really so much better absolutely so do you feel that until you had that sort of sense of oh my goodness there's a reason for why I feel the way that I'm or yeah. the way that I'm struggling up until that point did you just feel it was you were weird or you were wrong or there was something wrong with you I just felt like I was being difficult oh okay yeah was that how it was projected to you by other people like teachers and things she's difficult yeah like I used to get like physically pushed into my lessons when I was having like a meltdown because I was so anxious to go into school because I didn't know how to socialize like I didn't like to socialize um so yeah when I got diagnosed I was like okay this may all make sense yeah and yeah it was from there on we just kept learning about everything about me yeah and about how not to solve it but like how to sort of the word live with it and adapt with it yeah 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 just make changes to yeah to help me cope absolutely because I think that's a really important thing I think sometimes when parents or teachers are dealing with children and then they happen to be autistic is that there's sometimes there's this thought process of how do we change them how do we get them to be more neurotypical and actually it's very much that's not going to work that's them pushing you into lessons and trying to get you to to fit a mold so how so obviously like you say it was an absolute relief when you look back on those times beforehand, like in the school and the environment and that you were being in, what kind of effect do you feel that had on your mental health? It was a really bad effect. Um, I have PTSD from school, when I was bullied, everything like that. Um, So yeah, it wasn't yeah. It wasn't a good effect. No, I think no, that's the thing. It really didn't help. And I think so many children at the moment, and I know parents that I speak to and work with, if their children are classed as school refusers, I hate that because it's kind of putting the onus on the child as being difficult. Yeah. You're refusing to go to school rather than school is inaccessible because of we're not, you know, approaching their needs. Yeah. But actually the reality is, is the trauma that that puts on to children. Yeah. So when you kind of look back to those times, what do you wish teachers could have done differently? Uh, firstly, have more awareness yeah. of mental health, children who struggle to go to school, to socialise, literally everything, because mm. I don't think they had any awareness. They were just think, thinking of the normal the normal person who would go to school yeah. and just sit there and do their work. Yeah. Um, just learn more mm-hmm. speak to the parents have better communication yeah um yeah yeah absolutely yeah. so when you were out of school for two years was that just born out of the sheer sort of anxiety about being in an environment that just really wasn't yeah so it was the first secondary school that I went to okay so it's mainstream secondary mainstream secondary yeah um 
from the second week in year seven, mm-hmm. I was refusing to go to school. Yeah. Uh, at that point, my mom just thought, you're being difficult. Yeah. You're anxious, but you're being difficult and you need to go to school because yeah. you need to be educated. Yeah. Um, but obviously that kept happening, nothing changed. So after like, I think it was two years, mm-hmm. um, I used to feel paralyzed in the morning. Wow. I couldn't physically get out of bed. Like. Yeah. I couldn't feel my legs. I mm. just couldn't move. Yeah. Because I was so anxious and I just couldn't go to school because I was so scared and, and everything. Yeah. Um and at a point my mum didn't really understand. Yeah. Um so she would still keep forcing me to go to school. Yeah. Um but then finally we kind of came to an agreement that there's no point forcing me to go to school because yeah. it, it's causing me so much upset, so much anxiety. Mm-hmm. And we just came, kind of came to an agreement that there's no point forcing me anymore mm-hmm. because I'm so much better at home. Yeah. And I feel safe. Mm-hmm. And I'm not happy, mm-hmm. but I'm mm-hmm. not upset. Yeah. Um, so yeah, after that, then I just stayed at home. Mm-hmm. I was doing online learning. Okay. Uh, through a company, mm-hmm. um, which that secondary school provided mm-hmm. after a lot of fight for them to let me mm-hmm. have it. Um, I then did a managed move. Okay. Do you know? I don't know. No. So explain. I don't. I mean, I'm not entirely sure. I've heard of it, but not entirely sure. And I'm sure that some of the listeners won't be aware. So it's basically when you can't kind of meet your targets at that mainstream school. Okay. So we. So like me and my mum pick mm-hmm. a school that we think would be a lot more suitable for me. Yep. Like normally mainstream, it wouldn't be a private. I don't think anyway. Mm-hmm. Um. So we chose a different secondary school in the area. They then moved me to there, and I think it was like a six-week, like trial, trial yeah. kind of yeah. And I had like a couple of targets mm-hmm. that I had to hit, and the targets, yeah, the, the targets, pressure on you. Yeah, yeah. targets weren't what we wanted the targets to be. It yeah. was attendance. Right, all the targets were attendance, mm. and that wasn't the issue mm. for school. Yeah. It was the anxiety. Just it wasn't. I don't know. Yeah, mm. it was just even if I went in for one lesson, that yeah. was an improvement for me because I had yeah. been off for school for so long. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I was there for a couple of weeks, and yeah, that didn't work. I was mm. refusing to go to school then. Absolutely. I didn't like it. It just seems as well that sometimes, and I'm sure not always, but a lot of the time, too often, is that schools' targets are more aimed at them being able to tick their box. So if we can get her in and tick the attendance box, that helps our overall school attendance records. We won't then get questioned by those up above and we can just stick her in a corner with an iPad or whatever, but she's physically here. Yeah. Rather than changing the environment or the support so that you can actually get into school and actually make it fit for purpose. Yeah. Is that how it felt? Yeah, that is exactly how it felt, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So you kind of think, who are we doing this for? And it wasn't you, was it? That, you know, whoever it was for. I think that's a really interesting thing as well, because I think what we can see with a lot of students sometimes is that primary school can just about be okay and manageable, not anywhere near perfect. Yeah. But that transition to secondary school is just too much of a of a step. And I think a lot of parents get quite anxious when they're trying to get EHCPs and support in place during primary it's actually the looking ahead and preempting what's coming is going to be a lot worse. Do you feel that there was quite a difference between being at primary to 
that jump to secondary. Yeah, definitely. Um, year five and six. Yeah. That's when it got a bit rough. Okay. Um, and then the move was really big. Yeah. Um, my primary school did help. They like um did kind of like little tours around the secondary school for me okay. for like all the anxious yeah children, which I think kind of helped because I was more aware of the environment and stuff. Yes. Um, but then as soon as I moved to the secondary school, it just <laughs> just downhill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then <laughs> yeah. I suppose the support wasn't no, there. it wasn't there. No, no, absolutely. So you obviously had already transitioned into secondary school before you were diagnosed. If you were diagnosed at fourteen, yeah. So were you diagnosed in that two years when you were off of school? Yes. Yeah. 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 So yeah. It's hard to think back, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And so. When you were diagnosed, how was that with regards to your your mum? Because obviously you're saying about how, and I completely understand it as a parent, and it's difficult, uh, I know, because when you're the, 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 the child in the equation, as a parent, you have a lot of pressures from all different angles. And obviously you're seeing your child's not coping. You've got the school sending you letters. If you don't send your child in, I'm going to fine you. You've got to maybe go to a job and you're trying to juggle it all. So it's such a difficult situation. But when you received that diagnosis and it became clear exactly the reasons why, and it wasn't because you're difficult, <laughs> how was that with, with you and your mum and, and that kind of... Um... I think from when I got the diagnosis, yeah. everything went uphill. Brilliant. My mum almost felt bad yeah. by the way she treated, not treated me, but like as in forced me to go to school. Mm-hmm. Um, we, she didn't really understand me. Mm-hmm. But then obviously I didn't really understand myself. No, exactly. Because I didn't know I was autistic. Yeah. But yeah, from there onwards, it went uphill and we've just grown from that. Amazing. Yeah. So not only has maybe the diagnosis really kind of answered some questions in your mind, it's actually had a massive ripple effect to relationships with your mum and just your relationship with going to school and things like that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Which is fantastic. So as a girl on the autistic spectrum it's often said that females are really really good at masking is that something that you do do you mask I mask a lot okay (laughs) (laughs) and it would just be really interesting because I know that Olivia my daughter is like she's been classed even this week by her school that she's like a genius masker um which I think I mean I think in in girls it's a really so it's like an ingenious coping mechanism that you're able to kind of morph and and you know adapt to certain situations but it comes with a huge price tag in the fact that it's exhausting to mask yeah, yeah. and the mental load of it so how does masking feel to you where does that kind of showcase itself in what kind of examples so it's usually at school okay. I mask the most yeah um especially when I wasn't auto- diagnosed as yes autistic. yeah um so I just hide all everything I just look like the perfect child at school, mm-hmm. sits there and does her work. Mm-hmm. When really I have so much anxiety, mm-hmm. I need a break almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I get home, yeah. I either sleep or right. yeah. <laughs> have like have a meltdown or I just almost need to just like let it all out. Like yeah. I've just been like hiding all away for that yeah. whole day. And I just need to let, let everything out. Let everything out. Yeah. yeah. So it is really tiring um it has got better yeah so I have tried to not mask as much at school yeah but it is hard because I'm used to it yeah so it's kind of a bit habitual you kind of got into that habit of of doing it and then when people see me upset or not masking they're like 
really worried and I'm like yeah but this is me and they're like but you 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 never get upset but I'm like you don't see me at home yeah and yeah so again that's really interesting because I think um a lot of the time girls do mask in school especially and can kind of be they go under the radar because they're very quiet they're the good girl they don't you know there's they're no bother yeah um and then obviously they get home to maybe their safe space and that's obviously when it can all come out and it's kind of like that coke bottle analogy yeah you know you're kind of being shaken up all day but keeping the lid on and then it you can't keep it on forever so a lot of parents are up against the issue whereby they are seeing at home the real child who's struggling who's anxious who's upset and is not coping but they're the model pupil at school and so when they go to school the teacher goes well she's fine here you may not have an answer for this, <laughs> but what would you say to teachers, especially if there's any like educators listening who would be like, oh my God, yeah, actually I have had parents come to me saying exactly what Anna's just described. What do you think, te- do you think teachers should be just more open to listening to, to parents and they, how their yeah, kids are really at home? need to listen to parents. Mm. If they have any concerns from home, mm. they need to see if it check complete if it complete their behavior is completely different at home and school yeah i think that does show something yes a lot absolutely <laughs> yeah because when my mum used to say anna has meltdowns at home mm. or anna's really upset when she gets home yeah and then my teacher would say well she's perfect at school yes so it's something that's wrong at home yeah when really it was something that's wrong at school but then the impact was at home yeah so yeah and that's, teachers need to listen <laughs> absolutely and that's so integral because again from like your mum's point of view and from other parents it's such an anxiety for, for your, your parents because they are literally being told in a roundabout way it's your fault yeah you're a bad parent and usually the first course of action is parents rather than being listened to and the child trying to be supported is like we're going to send you on a parenting course which is you know is is really is, is difficult for a parent it's yeah. like well okay well obviously I'm the one that's the problem because she's fine at school she's fine everywhere but actually it's because you're the safe space you're the person that yeah. they trust and that's yeah. why you're seeing that side of it um so it, it's it's really interesting isn't it really really interesting so when you're masking what do you think when you were at school and you were masking and you were struggling what kind of things would have helped you do you think um i think a safe space okay because at school they always have to have um like a vision on every single pupil so Mm -hmm. you can't go anywhere by yourself right okay yeah um whereas i needed just like a little like a room Mm -hmm. or somewhere for me to just go and either like listen to music or just lie down yeah and just like kind of just like like demask like yeah yeah, yeah <laughs> like yeah. where a space where i don't have to mask sometimes yeah. i feel like i have to mask because i'm older yeah um like primary kids mm-hmm. um they're not masking probably because mm-hmm. some, some of them anyway yeah um but yeah, i feel like i have to mask because yeah. I'm an older people mm-hmm. and I do think sometimes at school some of the teachers think that when you get older your autism disappears okay and do you feel that now yeah okay I so do still feel that now. that's really interesting because obviously as we know you're in a specialist setting yeah um and so there may be a wrong assumption that the older you get the more 
aware you are of yourself and you're able to self-manage and everything's hunky-dory and maybe they are not necessarily paying enough respect to the fact that actually even though you're older doesn't mean that your needs have suddenly disappeared yeah yeah and in fact sometimes I think when you get older they get bigger you know yeah. <laughs> you know ironically all the problems get bigger so now that you have transitioned to a specialist school what are the main differences that you feel are between the setting that you're in now to compare to if you were in the, a mainstream, mainstream alternative school, yeah. yeah um the size yeah so the classroom sizes went from 30 mm. to like five and that's important that is yeah. that was huge and always well not anymore but there was always support in my lessons so okay. like a teaching assistant and there was also a teacher and mm-hmm. um, now that I'm sixth form mm-hmm. I don't think they take that into account that okay a teaching assistant still needs to be in the lessons okay so they'll do the rest of the whole school's timetable mm-hmm. and they'll say oh if we have a teaching assistant left oh we'll add them to sixth form class okay it's never sixth form needs okay a teaching assistant mm-hmm. in a class of six which is probably the biggest I think that's the biggest class in the school it must be mustn't it I think yeah they shouldn't go above five yeah but yeah um so mm. we pretty much don't have a teaching assistant in any of our lessons okay um which is kind of annoying because yeah there's a lot of students in my class that do need yeah a teaching assistant because my teacher can't no because when you've got six pupils yeah. that have obviously got all their own specific needs yeah. and their challenges and whatever and, and the support that they need, that's a lot for one teacher yeah. to be, yeah. And they're doing all different things. The students? Yeah. Yeah. Every, okay. Everything's different. So, because we're all doing a level one diploma. Right. But everyone's units are different. So she has to, like, teach six different units. Wow. To six different students. Right. Mostly without a teaching assistant. Yeah. So it's it's really difficult. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Do you think she I'm not saying that necessarily she's actually voiced that to you, but do you get the impression she shares that thought process with you that actually she, I need I need some help here. Yeah, she does <laughs> yeah. it really well. Yes. Like she's amazing. Like full credit Absolutely to her. amazing. Yeah. Um but sometimes I need help. Yeah. But she's she's helping someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, or another student needs help, but she's helping someone else. Yeah. When really the teaching, if there was a teaching assistant there, mm. they could come and help. Mm. But that never happens. No. <laughs> oh gosh. So that's definitely a um, a learning opportunity, isn't it? In in your particular case, and obviously yeah. maybe hopefully that can be rectified. Um, yeah, there's definitely very good feedback for, for them, for sure. Yeah. Um, when you transitioned, so when you went to the school, I mean, we're not going to name the school, yeah. but the school that you go to now, yeah. so what year did you start? I know you're in the sixth form now. What year was it that you started? Year 10. Year 10. Yeah. Okay, cool. So being out of school for two years, what sort of impact did that have on you? It was really strange yeah. to be at a school setting. I was so anxious because I was scared that it wasn't going to work again. Yes. Because I had done, I had been to two other mainstream secondary schools yeah with the management as well um and it was yeah it was really strange but yeah. it worked so well brilliant it was amazing yeah like I was there like full time within like a week oh amazing and that's the thing isn't it and I say quite a lot of the time sort of um through work is that I am a believer that when we get the environment right, the rest follows. Yeah. And it's kind of like, again, just confirms to you that you were never the problem. No. You, you, do you know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's it's everything else around you. So within a week, you were full time. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, yeah more or less. Yeah. yeah. Incredible. And that must have been, what was that like for your mum as well? 
and they like amazing she was yeah. like i can now go to work yeah. on the right time <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 and they're probably thinking my god we're going to get a phone call in like 10 minutes to go pick you up or there's been a problem yeah. or anything like that so did you feel like being out of school for those two years had a really massive effect on your academic progress i thought so okay but my teachers didn't oh okay yeah so That's interesting I, I was, I don't know, I, I don't think they did. They don't think they did? <laughs> no. no, absolutely. I as passed my GCSEs, so. <laughs> wow, how many, because that's, I think, another thing as well, parents that are listening, I think there's a real anxiety about what their child's school path education journey is going to look like. And I think sometimes, I know this, I'm talking now from my own point of view, when Olivia was very first identified as potentially being autistic she was in reception so it's right at the beginning yeah so obviously we we had a few years on you you know bless you not getting diagnosed till 14 but I remember at the time thinking oh my god what if she doesn't do this and what if she doesn't do her GCSEs what does that mean and as a parent you kind of think of all the whole you know um you don't just think about what it means today you're thinking about all of the future as well and actually there's you know the great saying there's more than one way to skin a cat there's as many ways to get an education yeah but I think parents worry if GCSEs won't be an option but obviously you've gone on even though you're out for two years still went on and yeah achieved I still that. in year 11 I still brilliant that even after the pandemic amazing <laughs> yeah so what did you because obviously specialist schools can sometimes do things differently and I know the school that you're at with Adam you don't necessarily do the, the broad range of subjects that a no, mainstream yeah. Yeah, secondary yeah. would do. So what um, subjects did you, you do? So I did maths, English and science. Perfect. Um, and then I did a BTEC, food tech. Amazing. And art as well. Wow. <laughs> and obviously that's where you have an interest in, food tech and art. Or was it Well, just... that was basically all was, that was. Right. Those were the only options. Okay, brilliant. Um, I first started doing PE, then I found that too hard. Okay. Theory, so then I moved to food tech. Okay. But art was like the only option. Oh, okay. And I just just enjoyed it. And then I got a GCSE, so yeah. it was all right. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And so now that you're in the sixth form, what is the plan? If there is a plan, because you're yeah. 17. <laughs> you know, you're only, you're, you're, to me, you're young. But what is your plan moving forward? Um, so I'm doing a level one diploma in vocational studies at the moment. Okay. And I'm trying to base that around childcare. Okay. Um, I'm doing work experience at a nursery at the moment as well. Yeah. Um, and then next year, um, I'm staying at the school that I'm at now. Yep. And then I'm going to do a level three diploma. Yeah. Uh, I'm not exactly sure exactly which one, yeah. but something to do with childcare. I do want to learn more about autism yeah neurodivergent yeah like disabilities yeah everything so anything around that I would love to learn amazing so I mean do you kind of foresee that maybe sort of like a child care with children with who are autistic yeah I never like to say with autism you know mm-hmm. it's not a, it's not a handbag you don't <laughs> carry it around with you um autistic young children and things like that that would be a real great combination yeah well, yeah fantastic so when you think back to those first couple of weeks at your very first secondary school where you were like paralyzed with fear and anxiety and you think to where you are now would you have ever would that Anna two weeks into secondary school would have ever thought no you would be doing what you're doing now no not at all it's literally a dream (laughs) (laughs) and do you take the moment to think back and appreciate just how incredible you are and the journey that you've been on yeah 
good. Yeah, they definitely good because I think so often we can always look at the the negative things that have happened and not celebrate those wins. Yeah, I now feel like I have like a voice. Yes. And that I can share my concerns or things I'm struggling with myself yeah. and not uh, like voice it to my mum so then my mum can tell my teacher. Like I yeah. can tell everyone myself. Yeah. And that's really, that's just so empowering, isn't it? Just, I mean, never mind being autistic, just as a person, as a young woman, as a yeah. human being, to feel that we have that ability to use our voice. And yeah. if, even if people don't agree with us or we ruffle some feathers, it doesn't put us off from, from, from doing that. And that's really interesting because you saying that, talking through your mum, which you probably, I think lots of children do at certain points. Yeah. Olivia does that all the time. Mum, can you tell them that I don't like that? Mum, can you, you know, she's very um aware of herself and her confidence yeah. lacks um but yeah it's, it's and I think this is as well as talking to you today it gives me so much hope not that I ever thought that Olivia wouldn't go on and do great things and yeah. I don't believe in her yeah. but there's always that kind of oh you know it's hard to foresee it and I think it's amazing yeah. to be able to see actually there's nothing stopping anybody from doing what they want to do no. is there no. regardless you just needs to be in the right place exactly exactly so if there's parents listening whose children are or child is in a mainstream school and is really really struggling what would your advice be for them um talk to your teachers mm -hmm. if they don't help either see i would say like um cams or something yeah yeah but they have a long waiting list <laughs> they do indeed so if if a child was struggling to go to school would you advocate for parents to break that cycle by homeschooling looking for alternatives and things like that what you know um yeah i would say if they're really really struggling mm. to go to school don't even force them to go to school mm -hmm. because it will give them trauma. Yeah, because you're living um, proof of the fact that PTSD is very real. Yeah. 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 Um, and even if they're not doing work at home, mm. just keep trying to just look around, try and find the right setting, yeah. get the right help you need. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because at the time when obviously you were struggling with school and kind of being forced into that environment, how much learning do you think you are actually doing? Not a lot. <laughs> exactly so I think what's really insightful for parents to stop and think as well is okay we're dragging the child in every single day because we feel we have to and the school aren't listening is what are we actually achieving in this situation yeah. all we're actually achieving is causing trauma it is such a difficult situation because as you know the waiting lists and the specialist school settings and everything like that is just so so lengthy yeah um so if if a parent was kind of saying to you as well about being a girl, being a female, being autistic and receiving that diagnosis, how would you best, let me rephrase that, when you're talking to people like the teachers and stuff, how do you think would be the best way to advocate about not being not showing ableism so like ableism in the sense of oh well bob sue and jim can do it so why can't you 
always kind of assuming that everybody fits the same mold. What would your kind of advice be with regards to that sort of advocating for their children's voice and their needs? I think everyone needs to think of every single individual mm. differently. Mm. Like ev every single person is different. Yeah. And especially if you're autistic, mm -hmm. not one autistic person is the same. No. And mm. I think, I don't think people realise that. No. I think when we say the word autism, everyone thinks of someone that they know. Yeah. Or something they've read mm -hmm. or something. Mm -hmm. um, so I remember when I was first diagnosed, people would be like, oh, are you high functioning? Oh. Or, yeah. oh, you don't look autistic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's your thoughts actually talking about functioning labels? What's your view on functioning labels? I don't like them. Good. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I hate no. functioning labels. No. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because I don't know about you, but what I hate about functioning labels is if you class somebody as being high functioning, what does that actually mean? Well, one, it assumes that a, a human being is robotic and always shows up in exactly the same way every minute of the day. Yeah. You can't just plant them in a certain yeah. spot. But what does high functioning actually mean? And also the misconception that society here, high functioning, think low support needed or yeah. no support needed. Yeah. And it's interesting as well, because a lot of these, like the, the levels as well, level one, level two, level three, a lot of the definitions surrounding the levels talks about how the other person is receiving you. So, for example, if I looked at you and I thought, okay, you look like you don't need much help, yeah. you're level one. So we're kind of basing it on how you're impacting me or how I'm noticing. Yeah. We're not talking about what's going on inside you and your head and your mind and how you're feeling. Yeah. No, yeah. It, it's yeah. kind of robbing you of your experience. Yeah. So, yeah, functioning labels are really, I think... I think they're really harmful. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So... Talking about obviously the fact that you're autistic and it's absolutely amazing that you're here and you're doing this this podcast today and obviously sharing your voice. Are you quite confident in? I mean, do you tell people you're autistic? I'm sort of now kind of broaching about of your sort of social circle and friends and things like that. How does that kind of uh, work out? Yeah, I used to be a bit more hidden yes. that I was autistic, and I would only tell like close friends or mm -hmm. family. But now I'm. I've accepted that I'm autistic because <laughs> there's nothing to be ashamed of. Absolutely. And I just tell everyone. Yeah. If I need to, obviously. Yeah, I just go around shouting out autistic. <laughs> yeah. Hi, I'm Anna and I'm autistic. <laughs> so you have no kind of, which is amazing because I think, um, I think that's another thing that transition for a lot of autistic people is getting really comfortable with saying that. And I think it's because there, there's a, is there a worry of how, or was there a worry of how that information would be received and if people would treat you differently? Yeah. Definitely, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you say that you, um, obviously you have a part-time job and you volunteer at a nursery and stuff like that. Are they aware that you're autistic? Is that something that you shared with them? Um, my job knows, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Um, and the nursery knows as well. Okay. Yes, yeah, so they both know. They both know. And do you feel like there's been any negative or any not necessarily negative I think some people sometimes feel they don't quite know how to act it's not like they're trying to be horrible have you noticed anything adverse in reaction to them knowing that you're autistic um usually they'll, they'll like I don't know if I tell someone that I'm autistic they'll go oh I know an autistic person um, yeah and you don't act nothing anything like <laughs> that. And I'm like 
I've only just met you and I'm not going to start, you know, going on about how you shouldn't say that. But no. um, yeah, they nothing really changes at, at work or volunteering. Good. So yeah, only if I think if I need to tell them something that I struggle with, then yeah. I will. Yeah. But um, yeah, I'm happy at work. And, and I think that's really important, isn't it? And did they proactively engage in conversation with you about if is there anything that we need to adapt or can we support you anyway was there any did they approach you in that or not no. No. no would you have liked them to have yeah I think it would have been better yeah um because if it was a different person that really struggled with like um them kind of environments um I think it would have been beneficial for them to ask if they struggled with yeah anything. um but I'm quite comfortable to say I struggle with that I'm not doing that or yeah. so yeah they're quite flexible with that brilliant and I think that's great that you're obviously like you say you found your voice and you're more than happy to, to use it and you're more than yeah. capable which obviously is just incredible it's just brilliant I think maybe for those that are autistic who aren't maybe quite as confident or have communication challenges and, and so therefore it makes it even trickier it's really interesting as well about employment in general and how inclusive they are with regards to neurodivergent candidates. Yeah. What would you like being autistic yourself? If you went for an interview or a recruitment process, and there was something on the application that asked about communication challenges, or are you autistic, or you're, you know your neurotype? Would you be comfortable answering that, and would you be like happy that that was included? And do you feel it should be? I think it's up to you, mm -hmm. completely up to you. So I'm happy mm. to tick that box. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and I have. Um, yeah, I, I think it's up to you. It's whatever yeah. you feel comfortable with. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, society in general, and obviously then that kind of encroaches on employment and recruitment, is having, do you think that um, workplaces should engage with autism training and be more autism aware? Because I can imagine sometimes candidates may go for jobs and they may be not taken into account because maybe they present in a non-neurotypical way and yeah. there's a bit of, you know, oh, not quite sure what that, guy was doing there and yeah. or whatever it might be and be discounted because there's such a low only 16 percent of autistic adults are in full-time paid employment wow yeah so there's definitely i feel probably a real issue in either autistic candidates getting through a recruitment process for whatever reason yeah. interviews maybe they find it intimidating or the workplace is not accessible for whatever reason yeah so that's a really interesting one yeah. to i think training would be yeah good just to have it available yeah to say there is autism training yeah absolutely just, just to be more available. aware yeah. so like socially for example at the moment how do you find because olivia for example i know um it can be the same for a lot of um girls um who are autistic that there's a real social motivation really wanting to be included really wanting to to have friends and to have that social circle and to be one of the gang and all of that sort yeah. of thing but find it really difficult to kind of get in there and understand it how has it been for you with friendships uh it's been very up and down yeah so i've really struggled to make friends um 
to get in the like the little circle, the friendships. Yeah. I always felt like left out. Yeah. Um, and I always cared so much. Okay. But now I honestly don't care. Okay. <laughs> so you've kind of gone through a bit of your own personal transition yeah, yeah. with it. So when you obviously wanted to to kind of get in the circle and and be one of of them, and you found it hard, what was it that you do you know what it was that you found hard? Was it the understanding of what was going on, or I kind of understood what was going on, but um, I just felt like they didn't want me included. Okay. I just felt they just like like I was I felt felt like I was acting the same as them. Okay. But they still didn't want me in their circle, even right. though I was acting like all their other friends. Yes. So. Yeah. It was a bit of a confusing. Yeah, it was really confusing. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. And how have you found actually going to a specialist setting where it is so much smaller? Do you think that even though that's great for your academic progress and for you and being able to make it accessible, do you feel that's had a bit of a negative effect on your socialisation? Um, I still have friends from my previous school oh, okay. and I do clubs as well. Yeah. So I still have friends from there. Um. I don't think it has had an impact okay. because I have that yeah. outside of school, like socialize socializing. Yeah. Um. But I have noticed that the majority mm -hmm. of the school is boys. Yes. <laughs> yes, there is a huge male dominance, yeah. isn't there? And my first mainstream school was all female. So it was first a, mainstream secondary school. Yes, was all girls. Yeah, and I was there right. for two years. So it was a it was a big change to go yeah. from all girls yeah. to a mixed school. Yeah. Um, but I prefer it. Yeah. I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I really do. Yeah, absolutely. Which is great, but no, it is, and I think that the the ratios are starting to change ever so slightly. I think yeah. even if like sort of that when you started, but you know, sort of three or four years ago, a lot of specialist schools were very male dominated yeah. um, because it tended to be that the diagnosing on, of, you know, autism was more for boys and now more and more girls are getting diagnosed, which is brilliant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the schools are still boy heavy. I've definitely obviously noticed that with, with both of mine. Um, but for you, if with your diagnosis, and probably just to kind of like round this up as well, because it's been an incredible opportunity just to gain insight from you about the whole journey. But if there are parents or there are te teenage girls your age who think they might be autistic, would you strongly recommend that even though the waiting lists are long to pursue a diagnosis, as that was that a real pivotal life affirming moment? I I think if I was comfortable in my school setting and yeah. it was mainstream, yeah, then I don't think I would have needed the diagnosis. Okay, but I need the diagnosis on paper mm -hmm. for the EHCP. You to, did you to get into the school? Right, that's okay. what I'm. That's thinking what, anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's completely up to you. If you think I'm, I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Like I don't need. A diagnosis i yeah. know i'm autistic okay self-diagnosis yeah. is just as relevant yeah. Yeah. yeah um then that's fine i don't think you really need mm -hmm. an actual diagnosis unless you really want one yeah no absolutely i think they can sometimes be yeah some people are kind of like yeah i think i'm autistic i've looked it up i tick all the boxes and that's enough to sort of peace of mind um and i think then maybe there's probably another section of people that have to have it in black and white yeah. written down etc Absolutely. And I also think the 
diagnosis helps as yeah. well because I think you learn more about yourself mm-hmm. because they're professionals mm-hmm. um, and then they like sum it up with a report mm-hmm. and you're like oh I didn't even realize that or yeah. there's just like little things that you're like oh okay mm. that's autistic you know like yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 absolutely absolutely well thank you so much I think it's been incredible to just learn a little bit more about you and your journey and I really thank you honestly for coming and sharing it because thank I think you for having oh, me. <laughs> it's been an absolute pleasure and I think there's gonna be so many either autistic girls will be listening and just be like oh my god and it's inspirational because it's that journey from going from being paralyzed in bed not going to school to being in sixth form and you've literally got the world at your feet yeah do you know what I mean yeah. and, and yeah. everything in between so thank you so much um, and so, yeah, for anybody listening, please do comment, please do share anything that you've taken from this podcast. And obviously, all of the wonderful, wonderful stuff that Anna shared today. You can subscribe to the podcast, um, go over to wakingupptoautism.com, just pop your email address in there, and you'll be notified of brand new podcast episodes as they drop. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. <laughs>